there are things you can do locally. There are things you can do just in your community, even just to get people to realize that they can support each other, like your next door neighbors, people you go with or interacting with at these events, or you're just kind of see on a regular basis, like kind of setting that culture of support with the, as a community. I think that's even more important, kind of addressing these larger issues, especially if you are someone who doesn't have those connections or have that platform or know how to get started, the best way to do it is kind of right in your backyard, I guess, like people, as people like to say. This is Glistening Particles, and I'm Jane, your host. I like to hear inspiring stories for people that I barely know and share them with you, and that's what we do here. I never know how it's going to go. I never know what they're going to say, but it's always a good story. Today's episode is brought to you by the Lolly Art Group. Tanner Lolly is a two-time Glistening Particles guest and an amazing artist who has paintings seen around the world. It's impossible to view his work and not feel the power flowing from them. It's like this beautiful mix of like strength and love. I'm wild about a painting called Momentum. It just takes me ah, to a place I can't really explain. To view his current work as well as find out where he'll be, check out thelollyartgroup.com or if you're in the Dallas area, stop in his gallery and remember to allow plenty of time for a real artistic experience. Hey everyone, I've been thinking a lot lately about how you get from point A to point B in certain aspects of your life. Like right now I'm working on a screenplay with Koji. How did that happen? Well, when I look at each of the guests, there's always a story like that too. So with today's guest, Jaime Gonzalez, I used to work in a scrapbook store as a designer. They'd get in new products and I would design pages and they would put them on display and I made a good friend named Missy, whose husband Jason works at Lawrence University, where Jaime used to be a student. And that's how we discovered him. Jason, my friend, who works at Lawrence University, said that I should talk to you because you're doing something pretty amazing. And then I checked out the amazing work you're doing, and I for sure wanted to talk to you. So why don't you tell everybody what that is? So I actually just thought about it a couple of weeks ago. I think I just had this feeling of wanting to do more in this kind of environment and culture that we're living in right now, especially post-election. I've, I've always been kind of very active in my community and kind of volunteering a lot. And I've just been thinking about different ways that I can get more involved. And I just thought of the idea of, so the project itself is called the United States of Latinx, which is for me a project where I want to interview kind of just everyday people who identify as Latino in whatever regards that that is to just kind of give a little bit of a profile of who they are, what they're doing, kind of where their background is in terms of their like cultural heritage, but then also just see what kind of amazing work they're doing with their communities or for themselves that's related to Latino identity. Just so that way we can kind of highlight and emphasize that these are great things that are being done 
done. And it's just everyday people who are actually amazing people and can kind of just shed light about how kind of different aspects of culture and the um, Latino community can be shared and highlighted and yeah, just kind of pulling out kind of what interests people have similar to what you do, but yeah, seeing what they are doing and how they are expressing their identity in a way that is touching the people around them and kind of influencing how they go about living their lives now. Yeah, that's a pretty big project description there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, though. And you know what was interesting to me right away when I saw your project was I always feel that I'm lucky when I'm presented with something that I don't know anything about. So I had to start. I didn't know of Latinx. Is that how you say that? Yeah. Okay. So I, I didn't know that. And I actually Googled it and read quite a few stories about it. But go ahead and describe that for other people who maybe I'm the only one who didn't know, but it's possibly another person might not. So Latinx is actually a bit controversial in a lot of in the Latino community, I think for the most part, it's so the X is kind of a movement that was used to include gender nonconforming and trans individuals or people who identify as non-binary who are also happen to be Latino. And before there were different like iterations of it as well. So, but the idea behind it is that it is a kind of used primarily in the United States as a phrase to encompass Latinos who do not identify with either aspects of the uh, gender binary, like as male or female, because especially since Spanish language is gendered for the most part. And so some people who didn't fit into the category of Latino or Latina kind of wanted to add that category that is inclusive of all people in a sense it's kind of it's catching on and i think a lot more younger people are using it as well and i think it is probably a result of kind of the gen z generation also the statistics or like studies that have surveys that have been done have shown that like a large amount of gen z youth are not identifying or identifying as non-binary and which means that they're not identifying with either male or female in those categories that we have. Yeah, it's kind of just been a little bit of a movement and kind of it's, it's working its way. It's, yeah, around. So I, I use it because I want to be sure that I'm inclusive of the people that I might be interviewing. I really like that. I think it's a great way to promote that change. And, you know, we actually we've had a number of people on the show talking about that whole the whole idea of you know the whole culture and inclusivity and all of that so this is a very good trend for us so i love that you're bringing this in and that that's part of it so when you are looking for people for your interviews what's been your like plan what are you looking for specifically is there anything that you're targeting or just the fact that they're latinx and if i'm saying that wrong just keep correcting me <laughs> keep correcting me nonstop. <laughs> so what i'm looking for really is a variety of different mediums, a variety of different things that are going. So I have different ideas about what I want to do. So the first interviews that I did, I did with two friends of mine who are doing community organizing type work in their area related to housing and also doing like immigration law and kind of resource work in the Chicago area. So I wanted to work with them to see kind of what they're doing and highlighting the community work they're doing through those different lenses, but I'm looking at also just different realms that people are expressing themselves or working in their communities. So that could be ideas in my head are like artists of different kinds, or the second interview that I'm working on right now is somebody who has been doing genealogy about Puerto Rico and their own genealogy, especially with like the trends with um, Ancestry.com and 23andMe and DNA results. 
results. So kind of just looking at these different ways. I have some friends who work in education. So just kind of looking at different avenues in terms of maybe social issues that are being addressed, but also just different mediums for people expressing themselves. So I'm also just trying to do a little bit of more research to see kind of what kind of innovative or new things are happening in different areas that people may not be aware of pulling that out and trying to highlight it as much as I can. So that that's really exciting that you've got it pretty well thought out. I mean, of all the ways you're going to go with it initially. So when you did the first interviews, did you have specific questions you were trying to target or were you just learning about them? Yeah, so a lot of what I ask initially is questions it's kind of more about themselves and about what drives them and what motivates them and then kind of connect it back to why they're doing what they're doing. But then also asking things a little bit of what I'm interested in, too, is kind of how people conceptualize the environment that they're in or the space that they're in. So asking kind of how what they are doing ties into the community that they are a part of, um, what that community means to them or what the whatever city they're in or whatever community they're in, how that plays a role in both what they're doing and how they're doing that, but and then how it plays a role in their identity as a Latino and kind of the importance that that has for them as well. So it sounds like storytelling has been something really important to you. How did you come along to this particular project? Like what brought you here? Yeah, I think a lot of it probably can stem a little bit from this last year at work. We spent a whole year with the theme on storytelling, so hearing and listening from other people, but also listening. We have this thing, Dave Isay, who is the founder of StoryCourse, as that like mm-hmm. listening is an act of love. So I that this is something that kind of just stuck with me. But before that, I've always just been really, really interested in the idea about kind of what vision people have for like the future or for themselves or for the community. So I kind of and in the work that I do, I do a lot of social justice education and workshops, so a lot of very hands-on, interactive, community-building type of things as well. So really, as part of that, really asking people what visions do they have for their community, and that kind of draws on like what they're excited about or what hopes and dreams they have. So I wanted a way to kind of pull that out to kind of add that to the climate, because I think kind of post-election, I think for people... Uh, especially the Latino community has been really affected by this administration. So kind of, yeah, it's kind of just been an extension of the work that I've been doing as a social justice educator, but also as kind of a curiosity of myself about what people's visions are and if they have visions or how can we help them start thinking about what a vision for their future could look like in terms of the community that they're in or the community that they identify with. Yeah, you know, you've made me think of a lot of different things, especially about you know, how you identify with the Latino community, I realize, and I'm in a different demographic, but like, I don't even know what I identify with in a way. I mean, I don't mean to sound naive about it. You know, I identify as a woman, as an American, as a Caucasian, and that, but there's not like this, you know, kind of unique subculture to that. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm German, I'm of Ger- I'm German heritage, so maybe I could identify with that. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm trying to give a little more context because that sounded like a really, you know, not very... <laughs> intellectually collected thought but it's just more that I'm thinking wow you have these people you know what I mean that that you really connect with and I do I have that with women but it's not but from a um, cultural perspective from a cultural heritage perspective I don't have that and there's something really cool about that you don't want to let that go you know and I think that's why I think I tried to also connect 
connect it to like the community that people are a part of and kind of like the geographical area that they're in, which is why I kind of labeled it the United States of Latinx because I wanted to focus it a little bit on geography and kind of what, where they are plays a role. So I think too, I think for a lot of people in Wisconsin, I think to kind of associate with being from Wisconsin or from the, this kind of like rural industrial type of environment. So that plays a big role in this too. So just seeing how those types of things can play into that. So I think that, that what you said is very common and I hear a lot and sometimes do my work too at, because I work at St. Norbert and a majority of our students there are from rural working class areas. So really trying to get them to think too about kind of how does that play into their lives and what role that has for them. So yeah, really I think the geography part is really important, especially because you could identify as Latino or you could identify as German, right? But it's very different on where you are and how you live your life and a whole bunch of other factors. True, true. But you're taking on the whole United States, so you're going to get a lot of variety with that plan. Yeah. And that's, what I think, one of the points, too, is to kind of just show the different ways that the identity of the community or the culture kind of is expressed and use, use the term subculture. And so it is kind of in that sense, yeah, highlighting these different subcultures of what is a part of the Latino identity and that it's not just one way. There are things that connect us and are common between us, but there are things that are kind of very specific as well. Yeah, and I totally hear what you're saying after the last election. And, and I totally agree with you and I sympathize or empathize as best as I can. You know what I mean? I mean, I do the things that I go out and try to do the things and support things. Like right now, I'm still trying to figure out about these missing kids. I can't sort that out, how that happened here. You know what I mean? And I'm contributing where I can. In fact, I would love to find if there is a place I can go help and be with them. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I need to do to help be with the kids. And there's not anything in Wisconsin. Yeah. I digress, I suppose. But <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. That was the same feeling I had where I was, I was going, I was going to work and doing other little projects on the side. I'm in grad school part time. So, but I was sitting there and I was like, I, I do, I'm doing, I'm doing good work. I know I'm doing good stuff, but I feel like I, I should be doing more and I feel like I sh- there should be things that I should be getting involved with. So I started smaller doing that, but I, yeah, I kind of, that's kind of what motivated me and was like, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to probably do something that I like doing and interviewing people and talking to people and really connecting with them and their stories is something that I've enjoyed and it'll kind of give me a little bit of like expressive creativity as well. So I definitely feel that, that sentiment and especially in this, like it kind of, especially in Wisconsin. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, and I hear that time and time again. So I kind of makes me feel better that I'm in a way that like, I'm not the only one, or not that I mean, that I'm the only one, but that it's just a common, common struggle. Like I see so many people doing big things to help, you know, I'm like, why am I not out there doing a big thing to help? But then you talk to many people who are contributing in such great ways, like you are, to society, to community, to connection, to, you know, climate change and all these you know all the ways that they choose but they're doing it with everything that they can at the time and then then I'm like okay right okay go back to at least you know I'm contributing I'm you know moving forward with it so it that's that's in the right direction because you know it's so easy to think can I just like quit my job and go where these kids are and do something or can I quit my job and just go you know, help the fires in California. <laughs> like that's the one that's actually gnawing at me right now because I was out there for a month and there's so many fires and all the animals and the people and the, you know, 
so yeah so it's like i have to keep reminding myself just doing something is is a good thing right yeah and i think too like i think we we see because we see that we hear the news we want listen to the radio or listen to the news stations there's always something right and there's always this national stuff going on but i think a lot of times too yeah, like there are things you can do locally there are things you can do just in your community even just to get people to realize that they can support each other like your next door neighbors people you go to school with or interacting with at these events or you're just kind of see on a regular basis like kind of setting that culture of support with the, as a community i think that's even more important kind of addressing these larger issues especially if you are someone who doesn't have those connections or have that platform or know how to get started the best way to do it is kind of right in your backyard, I guess, like people, as people like to say. Right, right. You know, and that's such a true statement. And I think we've gotten away from that in a lot of ways, just because of the way that our lives are structured. You know, we have commutes, and we have everything's virtual. And, you know, we're not outside as much. And we kind of got in this mode where we don't connect with the people right around us, you know. So that's a really good point. Just make that effort. So you went to Lawrence University, right? That was where you went to college? Mm Mm-hmm. And what did you study there to become a social justice educator? Because that's about the coolest title I think I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, so that's not my uh, like official title. That's just something I refer to myself as. But uh, right now I'm the assistant director of the Cassandra DeVos Center at St. Norbert College, which is an academic center focused on identity. So we kind of put on workshops and activities that are outside of the classroom, but connected to the kind of core curriculum. So that's kind of where I use expertise as a social justice educator but I've actually been organizing and been a part of a larger in high school when I started in Milwaukee when I moved uh, to Wisconsin I, I was working or not working with I was a part of this group called LULAC which is the League of United Latin American Citizens which is the oldest and the largest Latino organization in the country and a lot of their main focuses were on education and healthcare and workforce development and health um, for the Latino community. So I kind of started organizing with my community there, uh, helping out at different events, kind of targeted at providing resources to the Latino community. But yeah, then it wasn't until I got to Lawrence, actually, that I started getting more involved. I got involved with this national organization known as YP4 or Young People 4, which is a social justice fellowship that you take part of. So you go and they kind of teach you kind of like the history and the like best practices that have been going on in terms of organizing and activism in your community. But what they also do is they help you create a blueprint for social justice or blueprint for change in your community. So they kind of work with you with what change do you see in your community? What, how do you want to implement that and everything that you would possibly need in terms of being able to get that started? So that's kind of where it started from there. I took part in that fellowship and I um, kind of went back and forth about what my blueprint would be, but I got uh, really involved with the Committee on Diversity Affairs at Lawrence University. And through there, it was a committee, a subcommittee of our student government. And through there, we were able to kind of host different uh, discussions on campus, different workshops, host different speakers, and really put on different activities and workshops for people to learn kind of the basics of social justice and kind of address different issues that were happening either on campus or things that were currently happening in the news. So when the protests started occurring in Ferguson and Black Lives Matter kind of became, started becoming a more prominent thing, we kind of did a variety of different workshops to kind of address those issues to kind of emphasize the point that like, yeah, you may be students, you may be in college going to these school in Wisconsin, but kind of the national, what is happening nationally is, hap- is going to affect people. Uh, so we really wanted to be there to support 
those organizations. I did a lot of work with student organizations, especially ones that were diversity focused or multicultural focused, and then just kind of just getting the resources. So it kind of stems from there. And part of what my blueprint ended up being was I created a, not really a lesson plan, but kind of like a curriculum for starting a Latino support group on campus for college students as a way for uh, Latino students to have a space to talk about their identity, uh, to address any um, issues that they may be having, kind of connect them to resources and support networks in the area or on campus and kind of just kind of make it a fun time, but also kind of have conversations about kind of what is happening in the country and how can we as a community kind of deal with that or approach that and wanted to do so it was a good balance of kind of addressing like the needs of being a student and a Latino student at Lawrence University but also being able to share our culture with each other um, and with the campus and then also kind of just getting involved with whatever else we could hmm that's amazing like that is so many things first of all that you did and that you remember all of them to go through that list that fast on the fly pretty amazing but here's what's really <laughs> here's the question that's like burning in the back of my head how did you become this guy, right? Because you said in high school you were doing these things. And I'm like, how? It's mind-boggling to me. I mean, I'm way down the road from you uh, as far as in life. And when I was in high school, I wasn't doing anything like this. You know what I mean? And it just fascinates me that people are this, that have this sort of bias towards action at such a young age. So what do you think got you to that? Was it your parents? Was it experience? Like, what was it? I have a story about that because I, I actually associate this to an experience I had with my mom as a kid in California before we moved to Wisconsin. Because I like to joke with people and I, like to, oh, I went to Lawrence when I was a hippie. I went there for the, the community garden they had on campus. But I was like, now I'm just a different type of hippie. I'm more like I identify as an activist. But I was like, that's still kind of a hippie. But before that, when I was, it was, yeah, very younger. I grew up in, like I said, a small city outside of Long Beach, California. And in that community, it was majority of Mexican and Mexican-American people who lived in that area. And there was a lot of anti-blackness that was going on. So there was a lot of prejudice towards the African-American and black community in that area. So we had this experience where we were at a park with it was my mom and me and my younger siblings. A black mother and her kids came up to the park where we were playing and she like came up to my mother and asked uh, my mom for permission. Like, can my kids play with your kids? And my mom has always been like very like anti-prejudice type of person. And so she like called us over and she was like telling the woman like, oh yeah, no worries, no worries. She's like, call us over. And she was like, look, these are your new friends. And if you are going to like not want to play with them because they have a different skin color and you're going to be prejudiced, then you're just going to be in big trouble when we get home. <laughs> but these are your new friends. Like, we'll have fun, have a good time. And then we did. We were kids. So I'm kind of like reading into this. But that's kind of like a, a very vivid memory that I have as a kid. And my mom was also very big on volunteering community. So I do a lot of volunteering since I was a child. Like my mom, volu- like they said, like, you were voluntold. So uh-huh. my mom would tell me like... <laughs> volunteer at this like, church carnival that's happening at the park on the weekend or a volunteer to like go pick up our neighbor's kid and walk him to school because his parents had to go to work so she was very the person who would like give her the shirt off her back and was very big at supporting people that you were with and I think a lot of that was instilled in me so kind of the combination of both of those things of like addressing an issue that is there that affects people but then also being a good person and being selfless, those are kind of traits that she wanted to raise me with. So I think they just really resonated with me and I kind of, that's what I feel called to do. And that's kind of 
how I just went through my life after that. So I think it kind of, yeah, it just kind of has just been a progression of that type of stuff. So I, I've, I've gone past the being a good neighbor to volunteering in my community to becoming a hippie and then to doing more activism. And now I'm kind of just trying to do what I can. I think your mom deserves a shout out on the show. So but definitely say hey to her and thank you because good job. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Her name is Sally Perez. She would want me to tell people that. I know. Yeah, she is definitely the yeah, the person like to why I'm here today. And it's interesting too because we've had this very a very interesting relationship too. And I think it's only gotten better the more I kind of realize the impact she's had on me and my life and kind of where I am today. Yeah, that starts to we start to figure that out in our twenties. You know what I mean? When we're in our teens, it makes no sense at all. But then that it starts to make sense as we get a little bit older. But that's amazing. What an amazing story and a memory as well. That's pretty cool. I was like, I was like I'm so sorry. I was such an angsty teen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it happened like right when we first moved to Wisconsin. And I was like, I don't like Wisconsin. Why am I here? I don't want to be here. And she was, so then they actually even sent me, they sent me back to California. And I lived with my cousins who I was really close to. And then I after we had a death in the family, so I moved back to Wisconsin to kind of be closer to my mom. So after all that, I was like, yeah, I, I was just kind of an angsty teenager and kind of a little bit over it now, yeah. I think we all kind of go through that. Um, and it's nice, though, when you, sit, when you go back and say, hey, I figured it out and you were right or, you know, I was lucky or whatever it is. Yeah, I've done that for my own parents and my older son is starting to figure those things out, which is so cool to see as a parent. It's like those moments, you know, those moments of just like the relationship is now at an adult level and they're getting it and we're connected differently are like the best moments as a parent. Like so fun. I was going to ask you what you would be doing if you weren't doing this. Like what, what's another thing you're passionate about besides social justice? Yeah, it's really strange, but I've gotten more and more passionate about architecture, but not building. Like, I think it would be cool, like, if I could learn how to use, like, a digital system online, like, an art system to kind of build stuff. But I've always been fascinated. I think, too, I learned this, like, from Lawrence, because I was an anthropology major, so we had to do research with people, and I did a bit of my research for a course at a skate shop. So I was talking to people about or to skateboarders about what was it like to be a skateboarder in their community in Appleton, perceptions people had, their connection to the city and different things. And then I realized, I think a little bit after that, I was really interested about kind of how like buildings are shaped and how, if they're accessible to people. So not just like, are they designed in a way that skateboarders can like use that like stairs to like skate on, but also like, is it accessible to people who have different abilities, who maybe are in wheelchairs and can't use steps? Or So I was really just interested about that. So I think if I wasn't doing this, I probably would be in architecture school or doing something related to kind of thinking and reimagining different spaces that we're in and how they can be more universal and kind of just accessible to people. Because I think... So, yeah, like more multi-purpose than just, oh, this is a building that has these employees in it that work here every day. People just walk on the sidewalk versus, like, attaching gardens to them or making them in a way that they're kind of both part of the city and they kind of connect with everybody. It connects to people versus just a kind of stone and rock and metal beams and there's that divide, right? That is, like, such a beautiful answer. I'm stunned. 
I'm stunned. I mean, people say, well, maybe I would. I mean, people say a lot of good answers on that one. But the fact that it still ties to the betterment of the community shows that that's so ingrained in you that no matter what you do, that's where it's going to be. You know, that's really beautiful. I think it was just very like futuristic oriented too. like I've always had this like image of like the future where it's like a very cosmopolitan society where like people are kind of like dressed all differently and like the buildings and everything kind of everything's just kind of like a big cosmopolitan mix of both people and cultures and languages but environments as well so like I think about cities like Chicago where it's like downtown is like all these big huge corporate buildings and people running around everywhere and not really a mix of of like what's actually happening it's kind of like a similar thing so I recently just went on a trip to Europe for the first time and I got to go to Vienna and Vienna like blew my mind and I was just like I love this and I was trying to figure out like why they have like the highest like life satisfaction or something like that like rate of 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 like I always forget what it's called but they just have this like higher rate of like loving their lives and you could like feel that in the way that people moved around the city and interacted with each other and the way that Vienna was set up from my perspective was that there's like the train station kind of in the middle and people just kind of pop out of the train station and on one side is this like college university town so there's a lot going on there on one end is like the more historical side and then one other part of it is also like the kind of corporate big city type of area but then it all kind of just mixed together there's no like rushed feelings so i was like wow this kind of is like what i've been thinking of and so it's been kind of yeah so i was like we need more of this going on so though yeah the, the random things that i think because i was anthropology major so seeing how the like built environment around us kind of increases how we connect as a people and increases our perceptions about our lives and kind of our happiness. Well, it's even like back in the old days, whenever they people built houses with front porches because at the evening or whatever, they would sit out on the front porch or on the weekend and they would actually then connect with the people across the street from them or next door to them because they were all sitting out on their porches. And now... It's not like that in most cases. I mean, I think we're getting back to that a little bit. But there's if I sat out on my front porch, there's not anybody around to talk to 99% of the time because everybody's commuting or in their house. So I think that that's really important, the way that we design the structures, whether they're conducive to connection or not. And I think we gravitated towards not, and now we're seeing things start to go back the other way. And I think especially, too, with, like, social media and our, our cell phones are literally mini computers, so we're always on them because they, they, they help us get through a lot in life, too. But I think, yeah, when we move, try to like make the environment that is outside and get people out there and it is more integrated, that probably would help alleviate some stuff. But I think, yeah, because everything is so easily accessible virtually and you can, you can hide on identity online, you can create these different communities online as well, it, kind of there's kind of like kind of push and pull right of the greatness that it can connect like the social media connected us but yeah there's also some there's a lot of studies too that show that it it decreases people's empathy and you may see like videos of like crazy things happening or but and people may have an emotional reaction but their empathy for the other person actually decreases the more exposed you have to these so that's actually something that really was like some to me and i was all last year i was saying i was like 
wow, I I spend a lot of time on social media and on my phone and that too. So I was like, is it decreasing my connection to people and how I interact with them? So Well, and there are, there are also studies that, a couple of things that you brought to mind. One is that when we look at social media, like if we scroll Instagram and look at all these people that were wishing we looked like or our lives were like or whatever, it actually increases depression or, you know, can affect people with depression and get them into a bad, a worse, a worse spot. But the other thing, now here's, this is an interesting argument that I'm going to make that I would never have thought I was going to make. But I just observed this today, which is kind of funny because we're talking about it now. But I have two sons, they're 16 and 24. They both spend a lot of time watching YouTube videos, you know. And people say like, oh, that's a bad time. That's a waste of their time. We don't have TVs, so they don't, I mean, we don't have like cable or anything, so they can't watch TV. They watch a lot of YouTube videos and they're just like watching, watching, watching. But what I was amazed about is that I always wish that they would have become avid readers and neither of them are. But I think they're actually learning a lot on YouTube videos. Now, they're watching a lot of crap too. I'm not, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I don't know if they are, but (laughs) they could be. But here's the thing that's amazing. Like one of them came to me and talked to me about like he's in training for something like physically and he was watching all these different videos about that and he came to me and said you know I was looking at this part and my biceps and this there's all he just explained to me all these things about uh, anatomy from watching YouTube videos you know so he's learning things from YouTube and then my other son he'll come to me and talk about different cultures and different he's trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life different careers and things like that just from watching youtube videos and again because i'm old school i'd love it if they were avid readers but i'm not that much of an avid reader either i'm a book audiobook listener i guess that's why i podcast but my point is i always see that as a negative thing you know all this screen time yet they are actually learning things and they're actually talking to me about them that's what i think is so cool it's opening conversation I spend a lot of time watching YouTube videos. I watch a lot of BuzzFeed videos too, but I got really connected to this group of twins. It was a YouTube channel called Jack's Gap. And it was just about this kid in London who had a twin brother who was like, I graduated high school. I'm going to take a gap year. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And I just like watched all his videos and see, it's actually really weird because it's really also intimate, right? You watch these like people just do things for their whole, like I watched him do live his life for a whole year. And then so you see it grew. So like, and then it got to a point where I think he having the YouTube channel and um, kind of everything he was doing was like a lot for him. And he kind of really got really depressed, but it was after he got so invested in like what the channel was doing for him or what he needed to do in terms of like get subscribers and to get more people to watch and those things. So he's like, I enjoyed everything else pretty much that I was doing, but the, the, the medium of this was not really, it was kind of very surface level. Yeah, you're right. It's they're, they're just consuming him in a way. It's like they're consuming him. Yeah, so he was like, I have all these things, but I think that too is like, we ha- there's all this good that can come from the, the technology that we have and watching these YouTube videos or getting involved online in those ways. And then the stuff that is added to it is kind of the cultural stuff, right? We don't really talk about mental health so much. So I think if maybe our culture allowed that, maybe he probably would have felt more comfortable expressing that in his videos and kind of sharing that with people. I think, uh, again, I have a niece who's about five years old and she's been watching like the new reboot of Barbie, I think it is, on Netflix, like the show. There are some videos I watch on YouTube, clips of it that I've seen this too, where she's like having conversations about like what it means to feel down some days. And so I was like, never would have expected that. But 
So it's like she's still yeah learning stuff from it. And then I think it was cool too. Like they, my niece, I have like a lot of young. I have like fifteen nieces and nephews, so I have a big family. But my youngest nieces live in Milwaukee, and they live a little bit of parts away. But they're able to connect with each other by playing this game called Roblox. Roblox, okay. Uh, it's like this. It's almost like there's another like building game. I forgot what it's called, but Minecraft. It's kind of like Minecraft, but it gives you like a little avatar, and you get to go in and like do different activities. But the, when, if they're on at the same at the same time, they can like connect with each other and do it. So they're like learning how to learning teamwork and those things. So I was like, that's really cool. Like she's not really learning math or new subject, but she's interacting with her nieces who. Or not her neighborhood cousins who like they don't get to spend too much time together when they're school and all the other things going on that they're involved in. So I was like, this is, yeah, it's like yeah, the technology and the screen time is can be a problem, but there is a balance to it. There is, and I, I mean, it's great to get outside. Like first choice would always be be outside and using your whole body to do something, you know. But if that's not an option, it's nice to at least connect with people and be creative together. You know, that's the thing. It's it's one thing to sit and watch a movie with your, you know, with people just sit on the couch and watch sitcoms, right? Watch TV. But that's not like connecting or being creative. That's just watching TV. <laughs> Whereas at least with these games, they're interacting and they're being creative and they're using their, you know, ingenuity. And and that's a good thing. That's That builds skills. It, do, it definitely does. They're going to be smarter than us in no time because they're building skills all the time. Definitely. <laughs> they won't know what to do when they see like a grasshopper, but they'll know. No, I'm just totally kidding. <laughs> no, yeah. No, my niece is kind of, it's just strange because my niece will like, and when I go home to visit over the weekend and I was like, I'm going to sleep in a little bit on the weekend. And she'll like wake me up at eight o'clock and like, are you ready to go outside? Do you want to go to the park? Come outside. In my head, I'm like, I just woke up. What are you doing, kid? Leave me alone. But then we'll go outside and she'll spend, she can spend days, like hours. I mean, hours and hours outside. And then she'll come in like late in the evening and be stuck on technology. But she, yeah, she enjoys being outside and she enjoys being in technology. So it really, I think, yeah, just find that balance. And I think all kids, given the choice, would want to be outside. I think it's more that just logistically they don't have someone to take them or they, you know, their parents aren't home or whatever it is. You know, there's just not the opportunity. And even like when I was growing up, we, I lived on a, in a, in, uh, on a city, in the city. So I lived on a city block where I could go anywhere on that block and that was it. But my mom was like, okay, you kids, go outside. <laughs> Get outside and play. And then I'll call you when it's lunchtime. And then you can go back outside again for about five more hours. And then I'll call you again. We were outside all day long. and But the thing was, we all played together. And that's what's been weird. I mean, I live in a, a nice enough, you know, little suburban neighborhood. But the kids just don't go outside. They don't go outside and play. It's bizarre to me. I don't even understand it. Like, why would you not want to be outside, community, you know, being with other kids? But maybe we just didn't have enough kids of the right, you know, ages or whatever. Yeah, something went wrong there. <laughs> because that's what I really wanted them to do. Like, get outside and play. So I'm glad your niece does that. That's good to know. She's a very active kid. She just started saying to you she wants to play soccer. So we're like, oh, okay, cool. Oh, that's so fun. My kids both played that. That's fun to watch. So my next question, and you kind of led into it when you talked about futuristic. What is it? Do you have something in the future like that? What are you looking to do out ahead? Other jobs or giving back or whatever? Any other ideas? Uh, yeah, so right now I think I'm in a stage in, of my life where I'm kind of just trying to figure all that out and really kind of 
experiences in and really trying to reflect on kind of what I've done, what I want to get involved with, what like things that I want to be more part of. But I know like future wise too, I want to whatever my next steps are, wherever they take me. Cause I know in the future, I like plan to move back to California sometime. That's like my home. I have a really strong connection to there. I have a lot of family who still live there, but I think at this point too, I'm also kind of just, I'm a very like go with the flow type person kind of do what's kind of, what's kind of not thrown at you but kind of what's kind of what I've gradually kind of transitioned into in a sense now that I'm doing this project and but also just been doing this different type of work really looking just to get more involved with the people that I'm in community with I think no matter where I go I want to be doing something like uh, working with either like city councils or just working with community organizations that are kind of addressing a need there and just seeing what what I can do to help that I've always like considered myself like I I I do all these like personality quizzes or like strengths kind of quizzes and things that tell you kind of what kind of person you are so I always yeah I always get these traits that that are say that like I'm a leader and I always feel like I don't have a like I, I have those skills but I don't feel like that's kind of what I like to do and what I do best so I always try to distinguish between what what I can do and what skills I have and what I like doing and what I prefer to do so I think a lot of times too I just prefer to help people and whatever I can and be a resource so being that person that can actually just support what's going on versus like leading the pack definitely could do that if I was in those situations and I have been in different like leadership roles in my life but I think I really do like to see like where's the need what can I do to help and like just tell me what needs to be done and I'll go ahead and do it. So really kind of just taking on a more kind of community focused role, wherever it is that I'm living. So, um, oh, that sounds really exciting. And I love the fact that you recognize that about yourself because I'm the same way. I always was tagged and marked as a leader, but I don't really love leading people. I prefer to be the inspirer, you know, the one that's just kind of running with them and getting everybody excited about everything. So it's good to know that about yourself too, because we have to use the skills that we enjoy. They come off better that way. So I was wondering what tests you take. Did you take the VIA test? Uh, so I've taken Myers-Briggs. Yeah, Myers-Briggs. So I, my, like my Myers-Briggs is ENTJ. Ah, ENTJ. Okay. I was an RA in college. So I took in things that are called like True Colors. I've also taken Strengths Quest, which is, yeah, it highlights your like top five strengths. So I've done that, and then I just took something called the DISC assessment too. But I wasn't really too sure how to like. It gives you a report about different traits that you have, but I'm not too sure how to like the analysis part, like what it means. But yeah, so I kind of just taken a whole bunch of those, and they're really like helpful and informative. They are. I'm I'm an INFJ, although I think I borderline on I and E. Because I'm pretty outgoing. I just need a lot of space in my head. You know what I mean? So I'm kind of like right in the middle line on that. But um, it was really insightful. And I love that you can take that information. There's actually one called, I think it's called 16 Personalities. So it, it's essentially the Myers-Briggs, but it's in a it's in an easier way to take it. And it's all online and it's free. So if anyone wants to check that out, it's kind of fun seeing what, who they compare you to. Like who is in that same bucket and that sort of thing. And then I did this one called the VIA assessment, I think it is, but it's your values. And my top one is appreciation of beauty and like good things. I can't remember what it was, but basically recognizing all the beauty in the world. And that's like what I do. I'm like shining light on people like, oh, I love that thing. Oh, I love that thing. So 
It all made sense. Yeah, I've never heard of that. I want to have to look at, look into it. Yeah, I'll send that to you. Another important question, where can people find your stories? And and they're all in written form, right? They're not audio? No, yeah. I was, I was thinking about, or Jason had recommended uh, if I would consider doing it as a podcast. And I think right now, I think I would stick with writing just because it's easy to do and it's kind of one place. Uh, and it's kind of, I yeah. <laughs> I'm like good at technology, but I was just, there's another aspect of the project that I don't want to take on yet. Um, but right now I'm just doing them on Medium. I don't think Medium has names, but it's called the yeah the United States of Latinx, and they can search that in my name, and I'm pretty sure it'll pop up. But if not, I will add it tonight. I'll add it to my Twitter handle. So all my social media stuff is simply Ochum, which is S I M P L Y A W W C H U M M. I can add stuff to my Twitter bio and stuff like that. So I just, most of my social media stuff, I try to keep like lighthearted and funny and separate from the work that I do or in some cases sometimes, but yeah, uh, right now it's on medium and that's just been the easy way to share and it's at medium.com. So it's like a blog tool for people. And I think when I looked it up, if I went to Medium and then I looked up United States of Latinx, I think it comes up that way. And I'll put the link in the show notes as well so you can get to it. But I I always like to say it out loud for people to hear it in case they want to just jump in before they get to the show notes. So this has been really fun and interesting because for me, I think that I should have gone to school for anthropology because I'm just so fascinated with people. But I went to school for um, IT, which makes no sense at all. Other than there were lots of jobs. <laughs> and you, can, you have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I've, I've, I've diverted over into that eventually. Yeah, so I w- I'm looking forward to seeing more of your stories and seeing where this goes. And actually, if anyone, any of the listeners have anyone they'd like to recommend to you to interview, is that cool that they get in touch with you for that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'd be open. Right now, I'm kind of sticking with people who I know or recommendations I get from friends. But if there's somebody who... They think like is doing a really cool project and that person doesn't think it is, but the highlight of it would be really cool. I would, yeah, I'd definitely be up for it. Okay. And I'll look through actually my guest list and I think I have a couple people in mind to connect or you can at least look at them and see if they fit what you're doing because there are just so many cool people doing so many cool things. It's endless. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for your time today and hanging out with me in this little bit of a challenging Skype moment we've had but I think it's all going to be okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. All right, well, take care. All right, you too. All right, bye. Ah, did I tell you? Like all the things he's doing, and um, I love connecting with a fellow storyteller, and I just can't wait to see where his life unfolds to next. So on another note, I wanted to mention to everyone, I would love to know you as a listener. So first of all, I 100% mean this. Send me an email at jane at glisteningparticles.com or go out and subscribe on the email list and tell me about you. But if you send me an email, tell me a little bit about yourself, I will actually write you back personally. And if you want to give me your address, I'll even send you some glistening particles bling. So please tell me you're out there. Let me know who you are. Let me know what you're doing, where you are. I would love to hear it. And if you love the show and want to see more of the show, check out the Patreon page that's linked on the webpage, glisteningparticles.com. And whenever you're out there, go out and rate it and give it a comment on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time. So, are you following your passion, inspiring people, and willing to share your story? Then find me, because that's what I do. And remember...
Remember, keep up with all the news by visiting glisteningparticles.com and signing up for the newsletter where you'll get the inside scoop on where I'll be wandering next, some guest updates, and the latest random acquaintance story. For up-to-the-moment shenanigans, follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you see me post from down the road at your local diner, be sure to drop everything and come say hi, because I love to meet the listeners. Until next time, keep shining.